Thank you for joining me for worship today. Today is the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. Our order of service today is the common service beginning on page 15. Let's open right now with hymn number 331, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. We give 
thanks to you for your great glory. O Lord God, Heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sin of the Ezekiel chapter 18 verses 1 to 4 and 25 to 32, reading in which the Lord is reminding us that he does judge people justly. Isaiah, or Ezekiel wrote, the word of the Lord came to me, what do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son. Both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. Hear, O house of Israel, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits sin, he will die for it. Because of the sin he has committed, he will die. But if a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will save his life. Because he considers all the offenses he has committed and turns away from them, he will surely live, he will not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Alleluia. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Alleluia. Alleluia. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11, reading in which we hear about how our Savior humbled himself to be our Savior and how he was exalted to prove that he had accomplished his work. Paul was inspired to write, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's confess, let's sing our next hymn, and that's hymn number 337, Delay Not, Delay Not.
The grace and love of our Lord and Savior be with us always. Amen. The word of God we want to consider today is our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 32, where Jesus said, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who art our strength and our salvation. Amen. My dear fellow children of our Heavenly Father, the Israelite people were what you'd call a, a very fickle people. They change their minds so often that sometimes it's a little bit hard to keep track. And now, well, just think about this. They were enslaved in Egypt and they desperately wanted to be freed from their slavery there. They wanted to return from, to Palestine. But when God freed them from, the, from their slavery, when the Egyptian army was chasing after them, then all of a sudden they thought it was so great back in Egypt again. They thought it would have been better off for them to still be there. Well, and then a little later on, when God delivered them from the Egyptian army by causing, well, the waters of the Red Sea first to split so that the Israelites could walk on dry ground and then have the water come back together and kill off the entire Egyptian army, well, then the Israelites were absolutely thrilled. They were thrilled with God again. But then what happened is that they ended up being low on water and food. And when that happened, then all of a sudden, they wanted to be back in Egypt again. They seemed to so quickly forget, oh, what it was like to be in Egypt and to be enslaved. What a not good situation that was. And then they forgot how God delivered them, sending the ten plagues to free them, dividing the Red Sea, and, and doing so much more to deliver them. They often forgot about their harsh treatment and then about God's deliverance. The great ways in which God took care of them. When, when God was giving them his law, the people at first responded by saying, we will do everything the Lord has said. And then you can remember it wasn't too long after that that the Israelites 
when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, when the Israelites had Aaron make the golden calf and they were worshiping this idol God instead of the true God. When the Israelites were ready to enter into Palestine, at first they were thrilled and then they saw the people there. And when they saw the people there, they thought, oh, we're never going to be able to defeat them. And so they grumbled and complained again. They doubted that God could give them the victory over their enemies. Throughout Israelite history, the people kept on changing their minds. And well, when you think about the Israelites, when God worked a change on their minds so that their hearts and minds were changed so that they would look to God, then that change was a good change. But sad to say, all too often their minds were changed by their turning away from God, by their rebellion against God. In the parable that's before us today, the parable of the two sons, Jesus tells us today those two sons were sons that changed their minds, but should we Christians change our minds? And to answer that question, Jesus' parable talks about changing that causes disaster and then also changing that results in blessing. Jesus told this parable, it was just three days before his crucifixion. He was teaching in the temple courtyard and the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they had asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? What authority was he preaching and teaching and performing the miracles that he did? And perhaps at this point in time, what really perturbed those Jewish religious leaders, it, what perturbed them the most is that just before this, what Jesus had done is he had cast the money changers out of the temple. These money ch changers, these merchants, they often at exorbitant prices sold animals to be sacrificed and maybe other trinkets and souvenirs of the temple. And, well, the merchants, they made good money. And, and the Jewish religious leaders, they got a good share of the profit as well. And so they were enriched by the money changers that Jesus had just kicked out of the temple area. And these religious leaders, they were upset with Jesus because well, they made, Jesus made them look bad. Well, because of their selfishness, because of their greed, and also because of the hard message in which they overdid the law on the people. And Jesus' message appealed to the people more, that balance of law and gospel the leaders probably thought that when they were going after Jesus that they were doing God's will. They thought that they were doing what they should do. But through the parable, what Jesus showed them is that actually what they were doing is rejecting God. Jesus began our reading 
by asking those Jewish religious leaders, what do you think? Now, what he wanted to do with those words is he wanted to work on their hearts, to show them the error of their ways. He, he wasn't angry with them. He was rather concerned about their eternal souls. And that's why he told the parable. He wanted to try to reach them. In the parable, there was a man who had two sons, and, and he said to each of those two sons, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. No, the way it was, both sons were treated the same, and the Greek word that's used for son here actually is a term that a loving father would use to address his son, expressing this loving relationship. It wasn't as if this father was saying, you lousy bum, get to work. No, he wasn't doing that. Rather, this father was trying to teach his son's responsibility. When the second son was approached by the father, he respectfully said at first, I will, sir, but he didn't go. He didn't do the work. His disobedience certainly would have put him at odds with his, with his father in the future. The second son actually here represents those Jewish religious leaders. They offered their lip service to God. They said, yes, God, we'll serve you. And that's what they were saying on the street corners. That's what everyone was supposed to believe, that there were, they were these eager, willing servants of God. But they weren't really ready to serve God at all. They were more concerned, even if they didn't realize it, they were concerned more about their own interests. They're changing their minds to serve themselves instead of serving God. That would end up resulting in eternal disaster for them unless they were ultimately led to true repentance. Jesus was trying to warn them and, and us also. The first commandments, in the first commandments meaning, we say we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And see now, that fear, loving, and trusting in God above all things, that's really what it means to work in the Father's vineyard. That, with God working in us, that with God working in us, that we put God and keep God in that number one position in our lives. There's a life lesson to be learned in this story of a farmer whose dog followed him to town one day. The farmer, he hitched up his horse and his buggy and headed into town and, well, the dog came along, ran along, kind of with the farmer. Well, the farmer got into town. He hitched his buggy, his horse and buggy, up to the post in front of the country store. And the storekeeper, he saw the farmer's dog just 
panting away like crazy when he finally got there. And the storekeeper, he chided the farmer for making the, the dog run all the way while he rode. But the farmer responded to that by saying, my dog isn't tired from following me. What tired him was all his foolish zigzagging. There wasn't an open gate, a hole in the fence, or a tree stump that he didn't explore. He's tired from his zigzagging. And now if you think about it, that dog wasn't really following the farmer. Well, ultimately he kind of was, but he wasn't really. He was doing whatever he wanted to do along the way. Jesus has said to us, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Does that mean he wants us to zigzag all over? And of course the answer is no. He wants us to follow him as closely as we can. Not because he's trying to be hard on us or regiment our lives, but because he knows that Satan He's lurking around in every open gate, every hole in the fence, and every tree stump there is. He's always lurking there, looking for a way to come after us, to tempt us, to lure us away from our Savior. Jesus certainly is not saying that we are not supposed to have any fun in this life. Oh, there's so much fun that actually we can have in this life. But he is saying we shouldn't do anything that would separate us from our Savior, that we shouldn't be zigzagging so that we'd end up losing our connection with the Savior. He's saying, as the Apostle Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. See, by God's grace, we've been called to faith. We've been made believing children of God. We're heirs of eternal life in heaven. But the second son in the parable gives us the warning that our changing, our minds, if we wander away from God, if we're zigzagging all over the place, that's putting us and our eternal souls at risk. May God help us, therefore, to faithfully follow our Savior so that we don't fall prey to an eternal disaster. In Jesus' parable, when the father asked the first son to work in his vineyard, that son, he replied, I will not. And his reply at first, it symbolizes the response of our sinful nature to God's will. My sinful nature, your sinful nature, it objects to God saying to us, thou shalt or thou shalt not. My sinful nature says, oh yeah, I'll show you. My sinful nature fights against what God tells me to do. His sinful nature, well, the the rejecting, the saying, I will not, that's the natural way that we are. The response of the sinful nature to God's will, when God says, for example, 
that he wants us to love all people, to be concerned about the souls of even those people who would be our seeming enemies, when we consider our enemies, you know, our sinful nature quite naturally would jump back at that and say, there's no way I'm going to love that jerk. When God says, don't covet, don't gossip, don't lust, my sinful nature comes back to that and quickly says, a little coveting, a little gossiping, a little lusting, that's not going to hurt anyone. Our sinful nature, it is this, this terribly dangerous force within us. It's, it's always with us. And it's always looking for an opportunity to tempt us to rebel against God, to zigzag around in this life, and to wander off from God and his word. In the parable, that first son said, I will not. But then later on what happened is he changed his mind and he went to work. This change of mind, it symbolizes true repentance, which results in blessing in our lives. And maybe just think for a moment of the Apostle Paul to get a picture of that true repentance. Before God called Paul to faith in Jesus, Paul persecuted Christians. He may have been responsible for the death, the execution of, of many Christians. Then the Lord called Paul. Paul, he didn't want to change his mind. He didn't want to stop persecuting Christians. But God graciously worked this amazing change of heart and mind in the Apostle Paul, in Paul, so that instead of fighting against Christ, Paul worked instead to serve Christ for the rest of his life. And now see, that's because of God working that change in him. After he was called to faith, well, God was at work within Paul, giving him the ability well, to fight against sin and temptation so that he could serve God, so that he could serve the Lord. By God's grace, we, like Paul, have been called to faith. And God has worked this change of heart and mind in us. And because he's worked that change of heart and mind in us, he's given us the ability, a God-given, God-worked ability, Thankfully, it's just because of God, but we have that ability to fight against sin and temptation. We have that ability to serve God. And surely we want to say, may God help us so that we would use that ability and follow our Savior as closely as possible, not zigzagging all over the place and wandering away from our Savior and putting our souls at risk, but stay close to him and be safe and secure in our Savior. Jesus told those religious leaders, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John the Baptist came to you to show you the way of righteousness, 
and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes back then, they were considered to be about the, the worst of sinners. God's law convicted many of those sinners of their sin and then, then the gospel worked on their hearts and, and changed their minds so that they were no longer at enmity with God, that they were God's believing children. They wanted to serve God. They wanted to share Jesus with others. What Jesus actually wanted to happen with those Jewish religious leaders is that they would see that they were sinners, that they had a problem. He wanted them to realize that they also needed a change of heart and mind, just like the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. But they kept on saying, sure, God, we'll work in your vineyard, but they didn't. They did their own thing. This parable is called the parable of the two sons. But which of those two sons was the good son? Well, the fact of the matter is it wasn't the second son who said at first that he would do the father's work but then didn't do it. And, and actually it's not the first son either. He said he wouldn't do the work but then there was that change of mind and, and he ended up doing the work both of them had their shortcomings, their failings. Actually, the good son in the parable is the third son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Before God ever created the world, before God ever created the world, the son said he would do the Father's work. And he did the Father's work. He lived a perfect life so that he could give to you and to me his holiness, his righteousness. He died on the cross to pay for my sins and your sins, to wash them all away. And he rose from the dead victoriously on the third day to prove to us that he had accomplished his work, that he had done the Father's will. Without this third son, the first son who did his father's work in the parable, he would have been lost and we would have been lost as well. Let's never stop thanking God for this third son, for Jesus Christ, for saying he'd do the work and doing the work for us. Well, should we Christians change our minds. What we need to recognize is that by ourselves we can't have the right kind of a mind-changing event in our lives. It can't happen by our... We can't do that on our own. We can't change our mind to serve God and serve our Savior, follow Him. But God graciously did work that change in us when he 
sent the Holy Spirit to us to call us to faith to make us believing children of God. See, so we're actually like the first son in this parable because by nature we didn't want to serve our Savior. But God worked a change in us. He graciously changed our hearts and our minds. And since God has worked that change in us, let's ask God for his help so that we wouldn't object to following his will in our lives. Becoming like that. Like the second son who ended up refusing to do the father's will. God has worked an amazing change in us. He's turned us from enemies of God into believing children of God and heirs of heaven. Let's ask for God, ask God for his help so that we don't object to his will for our lives, but that we keep on always looking to him for forgiveness and for help to serve in our Father's kingdom. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the Apostles' Creed. It's on page, page 19. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Mercifully grant, O God, that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts, for without your help we are unable to please you. We pray through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord God, we think of all of the people in our prayer list, and as always, we keep on saying, God, if it's your will, grant healing but we especially say please keep on giving to all those with special needs and that includes every one of us. Keep on giving to all of us your grace and your mercy and love. Build us up in our faith, strengthen us, keep working that change in our hearts so that we want to follow your will, we want to be your servants, we want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world that wonderful news that really does change things. 
And so we gather up all of the prayers we have today as we join in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Let's join in singing our prayer for our country. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home sweet home. God bless America, my home sweet home. And I'd say thank you for joining me for worship today. Just a couple quick announcements in the congregation. Sunday is, today is Nick Hubert and John Greathouse's birthdays. Tuesday, Hannah Wine. Friday, Lindy Powers. Saturday, Stan Krosick. And trying to think, I think he's 93 years old on Saturday. In our prayers, well, we have all the people in our congregation with different problems and troubles. Maybe we just share one thing with you. I'd ask you to pray for Ruth and I had, had a godchild who passed away, 29 years old. Yesterday, we, on Friday, we saw her funeral online and it was a beautiful service. She selected nine hymns for the service, hour and 10 minute service. She selected nine hymns, a lot of Christmas hymns that gave the joy in knowing Christ the Savior is born. And service closed with, with silent night and a candlelighting ceremony. It was a wonderful service that testified to her faith and pray that God would bless all of you with that same kind of a faith that knows Jesus is your Savior and knows he's the way to a wonderful future in heaven. In our congregation this week, we do have a voters meeting that's on Thursday night. Again, thank you for joining me for worship. The Lord bless and keep you always. Amen.